Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Rewatch Project with Hannah and Mike for episode number 79. Um, I am Mike, and with me as always is Hannah. How are you this evening? I am shattered. Why is that? Fine. Uh, well, we're about to have an eight-year-old in the house, so it's been party central today. It has. It's been uh, it's Chloe's birthday tomorrow, and we had the party today, so we are a couple of exhausted parents. Um Attempting a little bit of R and R, a bit of geeky R and R on a uh, Saturday night. Very excited daughter who is not asleep, so we'll see how we go. There will probably be lots of editing in this episode. Uh, hopefully, invisible. But uh, but anyway, enough of this. Uh, what are you? What are we talking about this evening, Hannah? Well, we are talking about Agent Agents of Shield. <laughs> <laughs> you were right. You're just... I was about to say Agent Three. <laughs> okay. Uh, episode Three. Are we just skipping words? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's called Uprising. Uh, what season of Agents of Shield are we using? Uh, season four. Okay. Uh, okay, so it says, Coulson, Mac and Fitz try to locate and neutralise a rogue group looking to stop inhuman registration worldwide. Simmons and Dr. Radcliffe have only a short time to save May before she succumbs to her illness. Another bloody rogue group. All these rogue All groups, the rogue eh? groups. Um, this one is directed by Magnus Martins and written by the Titster, Creatively. Awesome, looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, quick bit of housekeeping before we get into that. Um, a reminder that we always appreciate email at uh, the Rewatch Project Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, we are also on Instagram and Twitter at Rewatch Proj, that's P R O J. And uh, please do remember to. Uh, reviewers on Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes, mm-hmm. and also check out our friends' podcasts, namely The Good, The Bad, and The Odd, The Iron Sequel, Entertainment Landfill, his film, her movie, She's Drake vs. Punter, and Film Bastards. Have we had any feedback this weekend? We have. We've had a couple of emails and a YouTube comment. Awesome. And thank you for reminding me. Uh, if you do listen to us on YouTube, then uh, like, subscribe, share, comment. If you want to, um, if your comments, feels like something that um, would contribute to the conversation, we will read it out. So just please quick disclaimer there. But yes, what have we got? Uh, so I'll do the YouTube comment first. It's Why from uh, one of our favourites, uh, Jack Dubs. Awesome. Hello, Jack Dubs. Uh, greetings. I hope you and the family are all doing well. Whenever and that's a reasonable thing to say with our track record, isn't it? Well, yes. It's like it, it does, you can almost sense the trepidation behind <laughs> that comment. <laughs> Uh, whenever someone gets around to covering season four, I'm always compelled to say one thing. Mace is ace. This was a particularly fine episode with some equally fine character moments. My favourite being Fitz's little outburst at the end, as Mac tends to Daisy's injuries on the Quinjet. Okay, so... Yeah, no, Mac is a great character, and I like the fact that they... Because they, they had a little bit of stuff with Mac and Fitz early in season two, around the time Mac was recovering. And because of their sort of friendship, their sort of chemistry got a little bit interrupted by all of the excitement with Simmons being whisked away to the alien planet and the fallout from all of that. Mm. So it's nice to see that they've kind of remembered that there's a weird chemistry between those two characters and they're putting them together again. You're trying really hard not to say mac and cheese, aren't you? I am, every single time, yes. Mm. Um, Okay. Uh, We have an email from Aid. Uh, in Birmingham, if I remember correctly. And it's entitled, I Can Tell the Future. 
Um, hey guys, Aid here. I cannot believe. Hey guys, salivate when hey you say that. Uh, I cannot believe I predicted Mike would pick V. Glad you mm. did though, as that gave me an excuse to rewatch it, and oh, I really gosh. enjoyed your coverage of it, and was very relieved that Hannah liked it. I was wondering what you guys are watching at the moment, Aid. Before we get on to that, I have noticed it's, and I, I might have this might have predated us recording the V episode, and maybe subconsciously influenced my choice. But I have noticed a little renaissance of interest in V recently. I've noticed a few other podcasts have been covering it and people have been talking about it a little bit more. And um, I don't know, I think maybe it's just, I don't know whether it's popped up on a streaming service somewhere. Um, I think it might be on Tubi actually. But um, just, I, I don't know, and maybe again people are rediscovering it because of its relevance yeah. maybe people are saying hey do you remember me that was actually Very kind of relevant. you know yeah um so it's good to see that that's um popped up but sorry what was the other question uh what are we watching at the moment um we, we actually got quite a full plate at the moment i think if you're a geek you have to i mean I, I, before we answer that question I, I feel like we need to sort of explain that obviously we both harry and i work mm-hmm. uh we've got two young kids uh we do this podcast as well yeah uh, and that basically leaves us maybe 70 minutes a night i'd say yeah for entertainment and we've been re-watching Sometimes fringe more, it depends how tired we are yeah so once you factor that in and sometimes and you know how it is as parents or just as human beings some nights it just takes you that little bit longer to get to cook tea do the dishes all that well, kind of stuff oh and for instance of that um so on Tuesday night, I Mike was away for the night. So instead of having time to watch TV to myself, um, I had to bag up 150 bags of lollies for a school disco. Um, I put both kids to bed on my own, obviously. Um, finished off my work for the night, did the dishes, made the lunches for the next day. You know, various bits and pieces. And it was probably about nine o'clock before I sat down. Yeah. So then it was like, what am I going to watch? Nothing of any interest. Just yeah. whack an old episode of Friends or yeah. some shit on. So so basically what I'm getting at is we don't have that much time. So what we watch really is a reflection of... So we have to be quite strategic. So there's a lot of shows that we would love to be watching that we just don't have time. So yeah. at the moment, we've just finished our Fringe rewatch, which we yeah. alluded to in the... Re- so that's opened up a slot. Yeah. Um, but we watch basically all of the main geek shows that are on. So, you know, there's Star Trek, um, you know, whichever Star Trek shows on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whichever Star Wars shows on, like Obi-Wan Kenobi, the most recent one, and the next one of those is starting at quite soon. The Orville. Um, the Orville. Well, we, we watch all of the MCU shows. Yes, you know? absolutely. Um, Miss Marvel is incredible yeah really enjoying it and and but we also we've also got outlier shows that we kind of get to when we get to them like the boys better call saul is another one uh and then yeah, really, we haven't and, even dipped into better call saul yeah yet. we just we just <coughs> excuse me we just haven't had time so i mean that's and what we tend and most people will know this i mean obviously because new zealand were ahead time-wise the rest of the world you know yeah um so what's really nice is that in the states when the streaming services drop their shows each week, so um, they always drop them at midnight. Yeah. Um, but that ends up being... It's about nine o'clock at night. It's about seven o'clock at night oh, here. Oh, seven. Um, and so, what, so that's perfect. So that means that on every Wednesday, 
we get whichever the new Disney Plus shows are, so the new mm. Star Wars show um, and whichever the Marvel show du jour is, mm. they're available for us at 7 o'clock. And then um, on Thursday nights, um, the Orville and Star Trek are available as well. Yeah. So what tends to happen is from Wednesday night onwards, we've got a pretty decent piece of entertainment waiting for us every night if we watch one a night. Yeah. And then by the time we get through them, we're back to Wednesday again. <laughs> yeah, and that's, yeah. so that's the kind of cycle at the moment, I guess. And every now and again, we do like to mix it up and put a film in there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it just, it really does just... Big film recommendation for me recently, to the point where, and I don't do this very often, where I, I, I'm going to watch it again because I want to watch it with Hannah, is um, Hell or High Water, which is a um, very kind of like Tarantino-y, Coen-esque, Coen Brothers-esque um, sort of story like kind of almost like modern western contemporary set now mm. um with um jeff bridges uh ben foster and chris pine um big recommend really just tight 90 minute tense it also reminded me quite a lot of um season one of breaking breaking bad right. particularly the pilot because it's in that kind of new mexico um low-grade, criminal, tense kind of milieu. Mm. And um, that's the best film I've seen recently, and I'd, I'd recommend it. Well, the only film I have seen recently is Minions 2, The Rise of Gru. And Doctor Strange. Oh, yes, and Doctor Strange. Both very different films. <laughs> um, uh, Doctor Strange was awesome, really enjoyed it. Solid, solid Marvel action. Mm. Um, Agreed. I don't think it would take out the top, top two or whatever for no me. but there's like nearly 30 but, of these things yeah so, uh, exactly but it's 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 solid and great yeah um, Minions 2 was a pleasant surprise um, well not a surprise I was expecting it to yeah. be of a level uh, the kids loved it yeah um, I got to catch up with my friend that was good we got to go to the movies to the movies um, yeah so that's I mean that is literally all we've been watching isn't it mm. um, and Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., of course. Well, yes, of course. We have to have time out for yeah. that. And I always you know, like to sneak in. I, I mean, I, there's a bit of stuff that I watch when Hannah's not around. I've been watching um, For All Mankind, yeah. which is probably, I, I think, the best show on television at the moment um, by quite a stretch. Um, and also watching um, shitloads of fail videos <laughs> on YouTube. Right. Okay, let's move on. Um, we have another email. Okay. Uh, subject is new listener in Toronto. Greetings to you both. Claire from Toronto here. I found your podcast via a French Facebook group and loved your review and discussion of the pilot episode. The only downside is that when I first saw the posting, I mistakenly thought you'd be covering the whole show and didn't realise it was a one-off. That's such a shame as I really enjoyed your guys' discussion of it, which I thought was smart and funny, but was bittersweet as I wanted to hear what you thought of episode two. You mentioned that you are re-watching it at the moment, and I guess that ship has sailed, but it would be great if when you do watch it next time you covered it on your podcast, I want more. Having said that, I enjoyed you guys so much that I might have to check out some of the other shows you have covered i have not seen either watchmen or agents of shield oh, okay. which would you recommend for a fringe fan thanks and keep up the great work claire phil why don't you go first thank you for the email yes yes thank way, you Pat. um 
and it's funny as well actually I, I kind of I don't know if it was uh, sorry what's her name again Claire I don't know if it was Claire but I I realised that because what I do is I always go onto Facebook groups for the thing that we're covering yeah. and say hey we, you know hope it's okay to post this here delete if not you know all that etiquette stuff yeah um um, and we're doing this is what we're covering mm. and a few people did that they were like uh, I saw a few people going oh awesome I was, I'm hoping to do a rewatch of Fringe maybe I'll watch along yeah and I got to post and was like uh, actually sorry guys it's this just is a just a one off you yeah. know um, so that's a slight bummer but um, but I, I mean I would say without question um, Fringe because I mean first of all uh, there's a lot of the same people involved you just uh, said Fringe Agents of Shield, you mean? Sorry, Agents of Shield. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> because there's a lot of the there's a lot of the same people involved. Mm. Um, you know, Monica yeah, Breen, David yeah. Fury, yeah. I'm both. I mean, there's, and I think also it has, um, like I don't want to say the same trajectory because it's not, but this it, it evolves in the same way that the show becomes so much more. Oh, it, it's it exactly it's exactly here. the same mode of storytelling. It's 22 episode seasons. Yeah. Um, it, it's um, stand standalone, heavy first season, but with elements of canon stuff in every episode, even yeah. the standalones that increasingly becomes art and, dependent. But don't you feel like, like I feel, Agents of Shield is more accessible towards the end than Fringes because it, with Fringe at a point, if you haven't kept up with what's yeah. going on, you're not going to know. What I'd the say, going on. I'd say. But, but, Agents of Shield almost gets yeah, there to that point. Let me finish. What I was going to say is it, is it is a bit more accessible in that you could probably dip your toe in and watch an episode and enjoy it, but probably not know what's going on, but still have fun with it. Um, but um, they they are the same in the way that they their continuity is great. So... You know, in Agents of Shield, they remember stuff in season seven that's happened yeah. in season one, yeah. um, and riff back on that, and just like they do in Fringe. And also, they're they're from a genre perspective, they're very similar. They're both Earth set sci-fi shows, um, and also I would say that the whilst generally I say Agents of Shield is lighter, I would say that the drama to humor ratio is similar. I mean, obviously, I mean, Fringe comes from the J.J. Uh, Abrams stable yeah. and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. comes from the Joss Whedon stable, but a lot of the day-to-day people, the story editors, the writers, the directors, oscillate between those two groups anyway. They've always had a lot of cross-pollinization between those those groups and also other groups as well, like the, the guys who do Supernatural. Uh, they also do... There's the same group, the same team that do The Boys as well. Right. And they, their crew... Um, and they they've got a lot of people who also work on like Prison Break and Twenty Four and there's there's this basically there's these people who are just really good for writing for those long season shows yeah um, but who have sort of genre like Stephen DeKnight who created uh, the Spartacus TV show and the Daredevil TV show he came from the the Whedon his yeah. first ever writing gig was he was a staff writer on Buffy mm. and he uses all these people as well you yeah. know because I think what happened is that both J.J. Abrams shows and Joss Whedon shows were kind of almost like petri dishes yeah. of, of creativity. And a lot of these people have gone off to do their own things, like the, um, um, the Christ, the Matt Reeves, who um, directed Cloverfield and directed The Batman recently. He came out of that 
Wheaton yeah. staple as well. So, I mean, I, I would say with that, but I would say that what Watchmen, the big difference with Watchmen is that it's a cable show. Mm. So it's got a higher production value, darker content, more, um, for want of a better word, artier. Mm. But at the same time, it, of course, moves in those genre circles. And super compelling. Uh, super like, compelling, but also yeah. a, a quick watch. It, it's a real quick watch. You, know, you need to familiarise yourself with yeah. the source material, which is which I think was a barrier for a lot of people. A lot of yeah. people are like, shit, if I read a massive crime book or you know, watch a Zack Snyder movie. Uh, but I would say that the... The film's really good, and the I know you and I awesome. dis- I know you and I disagree on this a little bit because Hannah's only watched the super long, like four hour version. Yeah. But I will say that whilst that's definitely the definitive version of the film, you can just watch the two hour version of the film and get everything you need for the TV show. Right. Uh, I think that when, if you do that, by the time you finish the TV show, you will want to watch the four hour version of the film. Yeah. Um, but the, a good way to think about Watchmen is that the film or the original comic book, is basically just the history books. Yeah. And, and it's in the same way that if you watch a TV series set now, you just intrinsically know world history. Yeah. So you don't need someone to explain to you who John F. Kennedy is, no. or who Buzz Aldrin is, or whatever, or, or Martin Luther King. Whereas, because Watchmen, the TV series, is set in this Watchmen universe, which is an alternate universe to our own, the film is yeah. almost like the history books for this alternate universe. It's the guidebook. So th- mm. so it's not even that the TV series is a direct sequel. There are characters from it, but it largely follows completely different characters to the original one. Mm. But it's almost as though it's, it's its own thing, but that just exists in the same universe that this other thing did. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you've summed it up. And um, I mean, I say watch both, but I think that if you like Fringe... Uh, I think that there is an extremely high, um, and as Hannah alluded to as well, the kind of the cool sci-fi plot, plotty stuff is there ultimately in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to service the characters. Yeah. And that's a very similar dynamic to um, Fringe. It's all about the characters ultimately. But I mean, you're right in the sense of like... What do you want to get out of it? If if you want a short watch, then go yeah. for Watchmen. But if you want an entertaining genre show that's a really fun, entertaining watch with great characters and science fiction ideas, yeah, um, both okay. Fringe and Agents of Shield are very similar to each other yeah. in that regard. Yeah, hundred percent. And and hopefully you'll keep listening, Claire. Yeah, maybe you'll get to this episode in like a year's time when you've uh, <laughs> been. Re- and the other thing I will say about Agents of Shield as well is it's accessible. It's Very on Disney Plus. So. Yeah. You know, it's if you want to watch it, it's right there. Yeah. You know, and even if you haven't got Disney Plus, get a 30-day free trial and just binge. Yeah, absolutely. That's everything. Yeah, cool. Okay. Well, so Hannah, please remind us what's the episode called that we're covering tonight? It's called Uprising. And it's third episode of season 4 of Marvel's Agents of it Shield. It is indeed. We will now hit pause on the recording, watch said episode, and we'll come back and uh, review, react and riff on what we've just watched. So we will see you shortly. Bye-bye. Swear you'll listen to the good, the bad, and the odd. The good. He has the cruelty of Jack Nicholson's Joker, the wit of Mark Hamill's Joker, yeah. and the laugh of Cesar Romero. <laughs> the bad. He's bald, he's got a cat, he lives in a volcano. What else you need? And the odd. I've seen so bits of it, it's really stupid. Swear to me. 
just a couple of guys talking about movies, you can find us on www.thegoodthebadandtheodd.com. What a beautiful podcast. And welcome back, everybody. So we have just watched episode number three of season four of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., namely the episode Uprising. Hannah, thoughts? I love this one. Um, It's not one that I have particularly remembered as one that I would go back and say, ooh, watch that one or anything. But it's just such a solid episode in terms of really fleshing out where they are, getting a bit more into the characters, not quite so... Not feeling quite so fish out of water, it's the beginning of the season. I, I feel like it It just, it's at that point where it really settles you in to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. mode. Like, yes, I um, know exactly what you mean. Yeah, um, I, I just felt like I was sitting back in a comfortable chair watching... Well, you were. Well, yes, I, yes, I was, but metaphorically as well. Um, watching it unfold, like, it was dramatic, it was entertaining, it was funny, it was full of full of little bits and pieces to keep you occupied. Bits of business. Um, lots of... Whenever I hear you say little bits of business, it makes me think of Josh Widdicombe, because whenever Rob Beckett tells him a really, like... Um, like 1970s comedian joke. He goes, "Oh, it's a lovely bit of business." It's funny. It's a term. It's. I think I've, I picked it up watching lots of DVD bonus features because it's a writing term mm. where you'll be like, "So we need a little bit of business here." But the thing that that confuses me about it is, it's what my gran used to call poo. Because <laughs> she yeah, do your business. Yeah, but she'd yeah. call it your busy. Oh no, she'd be like. Or uh, you, you go and do your busy before you go. And what did she think of the flowers called busy? busy? <laughs> I don't know. And, um, and I still, it still haunts me to this day. But it's a little bit like the um, the mother in the Goldbergs. You know, yeah. do you need to go and make before do you need to do some making? Make, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just did the hand the hand gesture. She, she does, yeah. Um, sorry, you were saying, but anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I just felt like it had shifted up a gear, not in terms of tension, but more, um, it's not about setup, and we're only the third episode in, it's about, let's get into the story, let's enjoy it, let's, let's get it, let's get it on. Yeah, let's do our busy. <laughs> no, but, I mean, I mean, my feelings were, if it's okay, if I may. Of course. Um, is, it, it feels like the show has become liberated from this 22 episode story arc thing mm. like we've talked before and it's it's slightly spoilery I guess but you can't talk about these episodes even individually without that is that they're doing these shorter arcs mm. um, so each season is kind of a collection of connected mini series yeah. in some ways yeah and I that's, feel like I don't think that's spoilery and, because but, it's not giving anything away no um it's, but I feel like this is the episode where they've realised what the actual benefits of that were. Like I think yeah. that instinctively, as a, as a, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, what's a group? You like a group uh, as a company, mm-hmm. um, as a creative company, 
they realised we need to do something different with the show because we've kind of um, squeezed all the water out of the sponge of this. That's how it should be. Like shows should evolve. Like well, no, it's exactly it. It's like a film shouldn't be two hours long because you feel like, well, it's an action film. They're meant to be two hours long. Yeah. If it would be better at ninety minutes or three hours, you know, do that. That's what it should and be. And so what yeah. they obviously realised was, you know. In order for the show to evolve, um, we need to change this format. And I think that in the first two episodes, they were doing that. But in this third episode, it's as though they thought, well, we don't have to worry about this storyline being 22 episodes long and having all of these... And you've got all of these practical concerns. You need it to be interesting. You need to have... For sweeps episode, you know, sweeps week, you need to have a big episode, and then you're probably going to have an episode in the middle of a season where the show goes away for a while, so you have to have a cliffhanger there. They could just push all of that aside completely mm. and not have to think about that, and just go and just make every episode, make it all killer no filler, basically. Yeah. yeah. And what this episode had momentum and excitement because they didn't have to worry about using shit up because. They've only got to maintain it for, I don't know, six or seven episodes or whatever it is, as mm. opposed to 22. And I think that this really is, there should be more shows like this. And we talked before about how it really worked on Star Trek Enterprise Season yeah. 4, where they did the same thing. Because I wish I'd had on, longer to go in that format, because fuck, it yeah, works they, so they, well. They, found, they figured it, they cracked mm, the code. Yeah. But Because I, I think that a 22-episode season where it's one long story on it, it's too long. Mm. But then again, now, on the other extreme, you've got these six or seven-episode seasons where basically, like Moon Knight and Obi-Wan Kenobi, where they're great and I love those shows, but the problem with those shows is they end up feeling like a movie that's been artificially been extended yeah. and then chopped up. Mm. Um, whereas I think that... It's fine to be a TV show and admit that you're a TV show. There's no shame in that. And the beauty of this, though, as well, is that these mini story arcs don't have to exist in a complete vacuum. We've, we see we're seeing stuff like the Inhumans, like the Watchdogs, mm. um, from previous seasons, and of course, all of the just the world building and the character stuff that all carries over. It's not like it's a hard reboot. And again, this is I don't think this is a spoiler to say, but the stuff that's happening in these episodes that will be important to the next story arc. Yeah. But it's a little bit like what they're doing on Star Trek at the moment with Strange New Worlds, where every episode has a beginning, middle, and an end, and is essentially the plot is a standalone. But you've still got the character stuff running through the season. Absolutely. And I think that is a really nice sweet spot mm. between... It's a you, great balance. Because you don't want it to be like things like, you know... I always use CSI as an example where it feels like the episode ends and then you're in the next week's episode and it's as though the last week's episode literally didn't, didn't happen. happen. Yeah. It's as though you have to suspend disbelief that this is yeah, the next week in the same people's at life. At the end of the last episode, they're fine. At yeah, the exactly. Of the next. You know, and, and there's practical reasons for that. You know, often these shows are sold to secondary markets and there's no guarantee that they're going to show them in order. You know, uh, just thinking on that, there's one thing. Um, I mean, I watch Friends um, as a kind of a wallpaper chuck, show. Chuck it on wallpaper show. I probably don't enjoy it as much now as I used to, um, but it's still fine to watch. You know, half an hour just kill some time. But the leg of beef I have with it is the episode 
it's an end of end of series uh, season episode where Ross draws on Rachel's face and she can't get it off. So when we're in Vegas, yeah. And then at the episode ends, they get married and it's yeah. all like, oh my god. Anyway, they wake up the next morning. She's still got the thing on her face, okay. and then they come down to breakfast, clean face. Yeah. How'd she get it off? Yeah. They don't. They don't reference it. They don't yeah. talk. It's about just a TV it. thing. Know, it's like a, what? It really it's like what? Does, does, she have to, does she have to wear it for the rest of the episode? I or? know, but it really pisses me off that they don't even, like, literally, don't even vaguely mention it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was about to say, I think the only person in the world has ever noticed that. But I bet if I Google it, there'd be loads of people oh, going, "Oh, fucking sure. woo!" <laughs> <laughs> Those are my people. <laughs> yeah. Pedant, pedants, pedants, but um. But but I think that that they're starting to kind of flex the benefits of mm. um, of being able to have this this type of storytelling, and also like Shield always does, there's always three or four things happening, and what this does is you'll be cutting between the storyline, so you'll be cutting between all the stuff. I mean, they converge obviously, but you'll be cutting between all of the S.H.I.E.L.D. intrigue and the politics and the PR and all the stuff with uh, Jeffrey Mace and all that kind of stuff. And I'd have and to the- say, I agreed with Jack Dubbs in this episode, Mace was ace. He was ace. Um, and then you've got all of the stuff with May and with um, with Batiatis and uh, with the John <laughs> Hanna character and with um, Simmons. And then you've got all of the stuff with, um, you know, Mac. Uh, you've got Yo-Yo off and doing... And what I, found, I noticed was... Every time it left one of those strands and went to another, I was just as interested in that strand. Absolutely. And a lot of time when shows are doing multiple plate spins, you'll be like, oh, God, we're back to this storyline yeah. And But they were all equally interesting and all connected Infants as well. the best one-liners in, in this particular yeah. episode. Um, when he goes, do you know? Do you know what would be really handy right now? A guy with a flaming head. <laughs> well, yeah. well, it's like I mean, I, there was a um, an interview I remember. I, I was thinking about this last last time we recorded and didn't mention it with Joss Whedon from years ago. I think it might actually be like a commentary on um, a uh, DVD. And uh, there's been there's rumblings recently that Joss Whedon might actually be getting uncancelled. Um, but, but anyway, um, he was talking about how. Um, uh, somebody had paid him a compliment about how well he balances uh, drama and comedy. Mm. And he was basically saying for him that that's just a an essential thing to have to do mm. because you don't want to make your audiences miserable. Mm. you know. And sometimes you do have to do horrible things to the characters, but at the end of the day, you want them to keep watching. I think maybe the producers of like Game of Thrones and shows like that could perhaps learn that lesson. Mm. You know, the misery, drifting into misery, misery porn, porn, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, um, and basically what he said was, um, you know, when people are like, oh, you always managed to find a couple of beats, funny beats in episode. He said what he always did, and I was thinking about that when I watched this episode, was he always looks at his main, his main priority is to entertain the audience, but also to give every member of his ensemble something to do every episode. Because you know how back in the day on Star Trek, you'd have episodes where Uhura would just sit there for the entire episode. Yeah, and he was basically saying that um, you've got the need to entertain the audience, but you've also got the need that you want to give your ensemble. So what he do, he said he do, was he'd basically write the episode almost as from a dramatic perspective and then look at which character out of the ensemble hasn't got that much to do that episode and give them all the funny for that episode. Yeah. And that's kind of what you see here, is that Fitz doesn't actually have a huge amount to do compared but to he, the other characters. But he's quite integral um, in what he does. Well, yeah, but but it's plot stuff. It's, it's yeah. pre- button-pressing stuff. Mm. So 
give him the funny stuff so that actor's got something to do uh, but also because you need to have the funny stuff mm. you know and it's a kind of two birds with one stone it was approach. really nice to see John Hanna interacting with Simmons as well because you haven't seen the two of them and they make a lot much. of sense to be paired up as well very much so yeah um, because you know that Fitz is completely on board with him, um, yeah. having gone through the whole Ada thing. And he's kind of colluding with him in a weird way. Yeah, um, but but Simmons is sort of an unknown quantity, so to get her on board kind of the the John Hanna train is yeah. a good thing. For Batty Arthur's bus, if you will. What's his name? It starts with R. I can't remember. I can't remember. Um, yeah, so like... Um, from his character's point of view, he wants her to trust him because he really wants to show everybody Ada. And and to do that, he needs the backing of someone who's quite high up to the director and all that kind of thing. Yeah, well, he's got the ego, you know, the the hubris of of that. But um, should we we do the the breakdown? Shall I? uh... Absolutely. So we open up with Yo-Yo at a party. Uh, we see a guy doing magic tricks and all manner of um, razzmatazz going on. We, Mac calls, and she clearly has a uh, publicity still from the PR departments of Mutant Enemy oh, yeah. <laughs> of Mac. <laughs> kind of, uh, um, and then we get they get hit by a blackout. It's and we a bit see, like when you see photos on sitcoms, and it's like that's just a still from that. Well, it's when uh, often they won't even be looking at the camera; they'll be looking off. Yeah, and it's like who. Who, Who just that? took a reportage photo in the middle of a conversation yeah, yeah, about yeah. sandwiches? Uh, it, yeah, it's it's an odd one, and um, so we see the the a helicopter crash into the side of a building, and they they say that it's the um, inhuman resistance, mm. and that they want to end registration. Um, there's a, I notice there's a subtle de- change to the logo. At the mm. beginning, you've got the usual fire and brimstone and chains. Well, did you, did you um, notice the way it shorts out? That's what I mean. Is oh. there's, there's, there's an electrical, mm. um, digital electrical, uh, UHF-y kind of flicker. Yeah. And that's obviously in... in uh, well, it's funny because that, that's in reference, I think, it seems to the fact that the, there's these uh, you know, uh, electromagnetic pulses going mm. on. But I think it's also in reference to something else that's only alluded to, which I'm not going to say any more about. Um, but okay. I feel like it's a, there's a bit of foreshadowing going on with that as well. Like the show itself is starting to change, and that's the opening credits are reflecting that. Yeah, you know. Um, so we see that at Shield, um, they're worried about PR, and that's the thing that you get is at this point at least. And I can't remember where it goes, so I don't know if this is a red herring or not. But the way it's been presented up until and including this point is that Jeffrey Mace, the new, um, pre- um, what's the word? Director. Director of S.H.I.E.L.D., is a good guy, d- does the right decisions, trusts Coulson, listens to his advice, but ultimately is a company man mm. and worries about PR and all of these kind of things. And a lot of the time, and he says in this episode at one point, that's what you would do. Mm. And the impression that you get is that Coulson agrees and he's kind of like, and that's why I didn't want to do this, mm. is the fact that Coulson didn't want to be the guy who was having to worry about optics. Yeah. You know, and all of that bullshit. Yeah. Um, and he has to remind himself when he gives Mace shit about it that that's kind of because of him. Yeah. 
you know that he didn't want to be the person to do that you know so and as a result of that you, you you've got yeah. this um so we, and we, we and jeffrey is still spouting clichés like you know a team divided is a team defeated Indeed. and all that kind of stuff uh, but and again everything that he's saying it's is right. right yeah it's just that we've all we all know and and it's funny as well because i i, I manage people now yeah. and i can completely kind of sympathise for Jeffrey, but I wouldn't have been in the past in the way that, like, often the job of a manager is essentially to just be the bearer of bad news. That's a huge part of managing, mm. is, is just having to say, all right, guys, look, for this reason and this reason and this reason, we have to do this. Mm. And I think that the guy who plays Jeffrey is plays it really well because you've got the cheesy kind of borderline Orwellian kind of, like, hey, team mm. kind of stuff. But also, you've also got the, well, you know, somebody's got to fucking do this, <laughs> kind yeah. of. Like. Um, I think his Mace's Ace is better than anything that I could come up with for you. Yeah, I think we like Mike. We okay. like Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stick with Mick. <laughs> okay, so we see that um, we see Simmons and Coulson watching, um, sort of remotely watching May's vitals. Her vital signs on a computer screen. Yeah. Uh, as um, Simmons is kind of like chastising uh, the bureaucrats on the other end of the line about, like, look, this is really weird. We need to do something about this. And she gets cut off. They, they hang up on her. Basically, just pacing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just looking sort of stressed out. Um, Jeffrey gives, um, comes in, basically walks into the scene and says to Simmons, and he's clever. And to go back to the whole manager thing, what he does is. He gives before he takes. Mm. Uh, but again, technically he's right. It's just, and we've talked about this before, about how TV shows are all about perspective. Mm. You know, Our perspective is S.H.I.E.L.D. And like in the last season when there was the other S.H.I.E.L.D., if we've been following their show, mm. you know, and I think the writing on the show is good enough that, no, that nobody is twirling moustaches. Everybody's perspective makes sense. It's just a question of which perspective is the one that we are sympathetic to from uh, an audience view. Yeah. Um, sort of perspective. Like, so he comes in and he says to, like, Simmons says all this stuff about what they need to do and how she needs to go off grid. And we'll, we know that what she actually means is that she's talking about Radcliffe. Mm. Um, and immediately he says, whatever yeah. you need, yeah. go. But then he's like, you can't go there, Coulson. Mm. And it's that whole, you know, the positivity sandwich kind of thing. But again, at the same time, He's completely correct because they've got Inhumans out yeah. there doing shit. Coulson is by far the biggest expert on that, and, he and his skills be helpful going. No, sentence. that's not his specialism. No, and it, he is responding purely emotionally. Yeah, and um, makes makes the right call. He's mm. like, no, um, you can't help there. You can help there. Uh, I'm being super reasonable and giving you your team a huge amount of latitude. Uh, I mean, with all of this, he's given Simmons a long lead. Yeah, but where he does fail as a manager is not is is when he, again from the audience perspective, needlessly shuts Colson out. Mm. Like where he's like he's like where's May, and he's it's like classified, it's classified, yeah. and it's like he could be more strategic there from a management perspective. He could say something like he could give him something, but you know he kind of. You can see that he realises he kind of fucked that up when he walks in and immediately tells him where she is. Yeah, and I think kind a little bit like that's done from the audience perspective yeah, as well. Yeah, but sort of goes back on himself like, you know, blah, 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 she's here. 
um, explains it, and it's all very logical and a good explanation and stuff, but you do, like, I felt like there was a little bit of an undercurrent of, yes, I know I should have told you at the time, but, you know, I can't be thinking of past decisions. I have to just and, keep and reacting and moving yeah, forward. And, and we've been trained as an audience by almost 100 years' worth of media to not trust the white-teethed, um, smiley, um, you know, baby-kissing politician. You know, that's just... Yeah. Uh, and the show is obviously... Eliciting, yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, and, and the show is obviously eliciting that. Whether that's a misdirection or not, uh, I honestly can't remember, which is probably a good thing, you know. I can remember some things, but I can't remember... Let's not dwell. There's the no... outcome of those things. Yes, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm very um, much um, just see what unfolds. Yeah. There are certain things in Spanish that sound in- amazing. Like when the EMP drop happens and she says, Pulso Electromagnetico. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, there's your band name. It sounded better coming out of her mouth. <laughs> no, I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to try. It will just be offensive. Um, we So we cut back to Daisy and Robbie. And that's nice as well because it, that's what this show does. You're like, oh, yeah, we've got all this shit going on in LA as well, mm. which in, in many ways is the driving has been the driving force of the mm. series so far. Yeah. And this is probably the longest period of time that we've story-wise, that we've spent away from that. Yeah. And that's that's the other thing that I like as well, because a lot of TV shows do this thing where they'll build something up and you'll be really into it, and then you'll tune in the next episode, but then the next episode will be with these characters over there. Yeah. And it'll be good stuff, but you feel a bit chipped. You You're feel like, a bit like, oh, here? I've got to... Yeah. Whereas, like, S.H.I.E.L.D. doesn't do that. It, it, it's like, if there's loads of interesting stuff going on, it'll give you a buffet of that stuff. Mm. In yeah. each episode, you know, it'll be like, look, we know you're into this storyline as well, so we're going to give you seven minutes of that, and then we'll go over here and do that, you know. Yeah. And I think that that's nice. I think that sometimes shows uh, can be a little bit too clever for, for their own good mm. and don't do that. So we see Daisy and Robbie. We learn that his uncle worked at the lab that we that a lot of the previous episode was set out yeah. as well. Um, and LA gets hit with the electromagnetic pulse or the pulse or <laughs> um, and um, we, we, cut, we cut over to Ada and uh, Batiatus working to help May Radcliffe, Radcliffe to help May um, and then we, we see May just freaking out basically and what, what we learn in later scenes is that basically she and all of the other people who've experienced this are having their sort of fight or flight brain impulses um, like severely aggravated to the yeah. point where they're just they're at 11 constantly and how and it'll just kill you basically you'll die of fright essentially and, uh, going back to our listener feedback emails there is an episode on Fringe that centres around that kind of premise as well mm. Um, yeah, I mean, so I mean, very much yeah. a sci-fi kind of absolutely, idea. absolutely. I mean, I think the only real difference between Fringe and Agents of Shield is that Fringe is ne- has, is never as much of an action show. Like, there's bits of that, but you know, you don't get prolonged sequences of hand-to-hand combat, which is quite a big part of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. You know, that Mission Plus, Impossible sort of element. I suppose there isn't the supernatural gods, aliens. Oh, no, yeah, yeah because, because obviously um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. exists 
in the Marvel, in the Marvel Cinematic Marvel Universe, universe where yeah. Thor exists. Yeah. Um, whereas, whereas Fringe doesn't. Fringe almost exists in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as seen in the first Iron Man film. You know, where it's all scientific. It's scientific stuff that's just slightly outside of the reach of, of current reality. But not too, not too far, you know? And because I mean, there's stuff in Iron Man that there's no way that could happen in the real world, but it's based in current science, you know. But yeah. then by the time you get to things like Thor and Doctor Strange and Guardians mm. of the Galaxy, that's just off at a whole other level it's of same genre. With fringe, it's yeah. like totally on its own. Yeah. Path. Uh, so, so May's freaking out. We see that there's like you know basically um, looting's happening in LA, and we're following uh, Robbie's brother, who's starting to look a bit worried. Um, the I like that there. Uh, this is a classic sci-fi thing as well. The idea that um, analogs better, you mm. know, like in Battlestar Galactica, the yeah. only reason that the Battlestar survives, like vinyl's great. Yeah, exactly. And like, yeah. I mean, the, the only reason that the the Galactica survive is the only Battlestar that survives. Oh yeah, because uh, they don't have a network. Yeah, and they use um, landline for everything, you know. And everyone, the, the episode, the, the series starts with people making fun of it, and he's just like, oh, you know, yeah, fucking, you'll be dead soon, <laughs> and, you'll, and you'll see, yeah, and you'll get the Edward James almost hug or hug or punch, who is also in uh, Marvel's Agents of Shield, funnily enough. Um, um, and then and so so they so basically needles that, and water, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And but but so the the car still works because it's a pre nineteen eighty car. It's not full of electri- uh, electrical parts um and basically we get a little bit of uh, business a bit of busy a um, little bit of business between um robbie and daisy where basically she's like okay so what's your fucking deal and he said that well he thought it was almost like a quantum leap kind of deal mm. where if he did enough good stuff then he's well for status he thought that if he righted the wrong of his brother being attacked yeah that um, like and basically um, made the attackers pay their penance that he would be rid of the yeah. ghost rider. Like be, yeah, the, the reconciliation. Yeah. But, but now he's starting to... Think, like an eye for an eye. Yeah, exactly. And basically he thought that, yeah, so once he settled the scores, he'd be free. But he's starting to think that no, maybe there's some larger purpose that he's yet to kind of fully understand. Mm. Um, they, they rock up and they beat up the street toughs um to who were um attacking Robbie's younger brother mm-hmm. um we see um Radcliffe talking about to uh to Simmons about using the framework this mm-hmm. new experimental um holodecky virtual reality uh thing to help with them but more not to its full capacity but just in a kind of minority reporty visualization sort of. Yeah. Uh, uh, so what's happening here is that the writers a holodeck are where um, May's mind could go to just um, chill out. Yeah. but, but she's what, sort of a bit too far gone. But what's actually happening is the audience. Sorry, the writers are reminding the audience about the framework. Mm. That's what that bit of business yeah. is about. Um, and uh, we see at the um, the party that Yo-Yo, Yo-Yo is at, another separate gang of Tufts um, come for the inhuman. And the, basically what they're saying is that they're good, upstanding, uh, you know, rednecks who are coming to... They want to make America great again. Good, yeah, a good old-fashioned lynching. And that they want to fight back. Uh, they grab the magician. And I like the fact as well that that they use the phrase, phrase witch hunt and something jumps out at me about this scene, and I think that this was a very deliberate piece of kind of historical allegory. Mm. 
is that when witch hunts happened, you know, back in, they happened in, in, in Europe, but they also, you know, famously happened in like Salem, mm. in like those areas in like sort of Maine and Oregon in America. And what they would do I know, is... Bullock had to jump off the roof and fly. That's historical fact. Um, so, and what they would do is they would throw the women... Um, of course, it was women. I mean, Christ, we're seeing this happening again now in America, aren't we? They'd throw the women in the water. And the idea being that if they floated, um, that, that meant they were witches, so they'd be pulled out of the water and burnt. If they sunk and drowned... That meant they were human and they were okay and they would go to heaven. But of course, either way, they were dead. They were going to die. And what this guy says here in this scene is, let's see if you can stop a bullet. So the idea being that if he can't, he's he's human, Mm. but he'll be dead. And I just felt like that idea, in tandem with the fact that people keep using the the, the, the term witch hunt... um, was alluding to that, yeah, that that uh, w- w- that kind of puritanical way of testing, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. So Coulson's arm has stopped working, um, obviously because that's I been did, hit by the I EMP did as well. When I saw that it was just attached to the steering wheel, <laughs> yeah, it just stayed where it was. Um, this is where we get um, Fitz talking about how you know the head being a uh, great light roll. source, and it's funny as well how Daisy's arms fucked in this scene as well. And it feels like they are paralleling her and yeah. Coulson a little bit. That kind yeah. of familial thing going on as well. Well, it's a bit like um, when husbands sometimes get morning sickness and sympathy with their wives when their wives are pregnant. You didn't, but uh, I spewed just before you gave birth. That's because you'd been awake for. 24 hours secretly drinking <laughs> no, I wasn't. well I wasn't in labour for 24 hours but for some reason you were awake because I it was you. a very long <laughs> it was a long night it was very different to our son's birth yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's it which you pulled an ace there didn't you? I did yeah Yo-Yo's friends immediately turn on her so she's got shit friends uh, yeah they're the crappiest friends ever they are fucking London friends <laughs> that's they what they are London friends yeah. um, so um, I love friends the moment and this is there's some really great and I don't say this that often about S.H.I.E.L.D. not because it's not the case but because this isn't what the, sh- the show tries to do there's some really great direction like filmmaking in this episode mm-hmm. and I think like one of the bits that really jumped out at me is where everybody's turning on Yo-Yo but then the S.H.I.E.L.D. Ter- team turn up and you actually get the S.H.I.E.L.D. theme kicking yeah. and then there's a, a really good one-shotter of the whole team, and it cuts from one to the other, just going around and just fucking battering <laughs> all these people. <laughs> but it was a really, really nicely shot sequence mm. um, and felt like... Because the director of this episode is, I believe, a first-time director for the show, and it's not that it's better, but you can tell that there's a new director. And I think it's sometimes... It's a wee bit different. It is yeah. a wee bit different, but also I think that sometimes when a new director comes on a show, they... It's not that they want to make. It's kind of that they want to make their mark, but I think it's as though they come in and they think, right, okay, well, you know, I'd like to be asked back. Mm. So it felt like that it was a flourish, like a visual flourish, yeah. that you don't get often in the show. Mm. Um, and again, that's not a criticism of the show. The show's designed to be a writer and actors medium, mm. and if you did have flashy direction the whole time, the fucking wheels would come off. Mm. But I think that every so often it's nice to have that moment. And I think that that's probably subconsciously one of the reasons why you enjoyed this episode is that that's a great 
coming together moment yeah. for the team. Right down to the fact that you've got the theme and you've got the hero shot of them all there just before they, you know. And when you've had that kind of, you know, discombobulation sort of period for a couple of episodes, to have a bit of a fuck yeah moment works. But to have it delivered with such kind of visual aplomb is helpful, you know. Yes, we get a really good one shutter. Basically, what we learn is that it was a setup. It was Watchdog all along. It was a classic little bit of um, um, reverse psychology propaganda yeah. uh, to demonise. Um, and it's not like um, any politician lately has ever done that. <laughs> no. um, I mean, it's a, cla- Such a out there kind. Of I mean, it's a, cla- it's a classic tactic, isn't it? It's the fact that if you want to make it look like, uh, and the, you know, I mean, and, and this, this is not unprecedented in Marvel as well. We were watching. Um, Civil War the other night and that's got that plot device in it as well the idea of somebody essentially framing somebody to create a a public conflict where there wouldn't have been (laughs) yeah exactly yeah and um and 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 also I guess more more or at least equally troubling is that we realize that the inhuman registration act data is being used yeah and that's the thing is that whenever there's these um, you know whether it's the Sokovia record or real life equivalents of that. Mm. Um, th- whenever these, well, we just want to register them so we know where they are. It's safe. The danger is always um, that information getting out. You know whether yeah. that is you know superheroes or in real life whether it's um, you know women fleeing abusive relationships mm. um, or controlling religious communities, shall we say? Um, and the importance of there not being a paper trail for that kind of thing. More tracking when your period is in case... Well, yeah, 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 exactly. I it's, mean, um, you know... It's a very scary time yeah, you're living in. Yeah, and, and it's funny. I, I, I remember... I've, I've only watched the first season of it, but it's kind of crazily prescient because it was pre-social media and almost pre-internet. Is in the pilot episode of The West Wing, mm. uh, there's a moment where... Uh, a member of the media says to the um, Bradley, sorry, the Rob Lowe character, what is going to be the big um, political concern and hot potato of the next 20 years? And he said, privacy and information. Mm. That is going to be what everything is going to resolve around. Mm. And it's crazy to think that in the 90s, mm. a TV show predicted could it. predict that, you yeah. know? The tide was turning. Yeah, well, yeah. And... Um, so what what Radcliffe and Simmons realise is that they essentially need to reboot May mm. in order she's got all this shit going on in her brain and they can't extract it. It's not it's too mercurial. Uh it's not like, you know, really you know, cutting out a cancer or something. You basically um, have to control alt delete and yeah, hope it Yeah. So so the, the the thinking is is that they basically kill her, mm. wait for the brain activity to go. Uh, as low as it can, and then bring her back. Do You're basically doing force quit, hmm. shutting your computer down, waiting five minutes, and restarting, and hoping and everything's okay. Crossing your fingers, <laughs> <laughs> and we've all done that before. Yeah. And this is where we see, um, you know, a, a, a similarly lo-fi approach being taken with the the needles in the cork, uh, which they're using to basically triangulate the source of the EMP. Um, the of course sod's law being what it is they lose power the moment they're about to do a uh um oh what's the word those 
Cha-ching. <laughs> Cha-ching. I know what they're called. I can't believe I can't remember. Um, cardiac. The, the electropads, so, let's yeah. just say, uh, on May. So that's unfortunate bit of timing. The, and the pedals. The pedals, them yeah. together. Yeah. Clear. Yeah. Boo-boo. Absolutely. Um, and we see that a new threat's been made the, um, and the president wants to send troops in to take out the inhumans so things are getting dire and it's funny as well because you see Simmons doing the classic movie trying to bring May back mm. and I joke with Hannah that you know the, 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 the two cliche lines and she avoids them to their credit that I've seen a million times are and there's other ones but they usually include either breathe damn you breathe or You've never quit on anything in your life. Don't quit on me now. <laughs> That's the other one. The Abyss has both of them. There's a bit where... If it was a movie, it probably would have happened. Yeah. So basically what they realise is they need a battery. So they use Ada's battery as well. Uh, well, Simmons doesn't know it's Ada's battery. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, Radcliffe manages I to keep his cards close. I he was going to bring Ada out at that point. <laughs> I can't remember yeah. this episode, but I thought maybe that was how he was going yeah, to... Yeah, like his hand was introduce forced. Introduce um, Ada to Simmons. Yeah. And I can't... I just can't remember how things play out. But, but no, he just went and just, you know, yeah. popped the battery out, didn't Took he? Took the so battery, yeah. And... Um, the team find the EMP, um, and this is another nicely, really, um, really nicely directed sequence where they go in and they take out the guys um, because there's flickering lights. Mm. So you literally one at a time just see the team appearing. It's very Batman-y. You and know. it's it's lovely seeing Yo-Yo do her thing, like slow slow all the other people down and see her sort of prancing around taking their guns. Well, the things out of the entire team, she has the most useful skill or superpower. Yeah. But having somebody who can do shit fast is like a Swiss army knife of superpowers. You know, it's like when they were like, um, somebody says something like, oh, God, what are we going to do? How are we going to deal with this? I'm like, well, I'd be asking Yo-Yo to do some fast shit. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's there, are, there, there aren't that many dire situations that can't be helped by somebody who can move really quickly, you know? But the other sort of, I guess, kind of plot revelation is that the watchdogs are global. Mm. This isn't just a, a domestic thing. That we see Robbie's brother figure out that Daisy is Quake, as they have a bit of and, a... And he's not quite so uh, naive as Robbie would like to believe he is. No, exactly. Mm. And you get the, the feeling that he's playing a role. Like He knows that there's some heavy shit going on with Robbie, and but he also knows that he is Robbie's kind of anchor, you know, mm. to the world. It's a bit like Walter with Peter. Yeah, exactly, French. you know. Yeah. It's that sort of... Um, and I always loved that idea. That that was one of the things that I... I one of my favourite character dynamics of all time in just literature is um, Mulder and Scully in the X-Files. I think Scott that and uh, Scully and Mully. <laughs> I, I think that the, the those characters and the actors who played them are one of the all-time great... Um, du- duos mm. and a big part of that was that Mulder was this obsessed guy who slept on his couch with like a gun under the pillow mm. and just had no life and Scully was his connection to the world mm. she was like his in the series he calls her his um, human credential right. you know, she's the only per thing that proves he's actually a human being mm. and they have fun with it in the show like He's, the only thing he's got in his house is he's got uh, he's got a gun, he's got a lamp, he's got a TV, a video recorder, 
and a prolific pornography connection. <laughs> That's like the only stuff that he's got, got in his apartment. Excellent. And, um, but I like that. And I think that, covered. Yeah. And, I, and, I think, and probably tissue as well. But, uh, but I, I think that that's... Um, that's what's happening here, you know, is that you've got... He realises that he, that Robbie needs him to be his poor little brother who yeah. doesn't know what's going on, yeah. you know, has to use a wheelchair for mobility, you know. Mm. And part of that's true. He he uh, he does depend on his brother for, like, physical safety, like you mm. saw in the earlier scene, but his brother is just as dependent on him yeah. without realising it, you know. For the emotional stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but also what we see is a little bit more of this the kind of moral complexity of Daisy as well, because mm. she's, um, you know, wearing her kind of like, you know, metal fleece jumper, you know, mm. and, and kind of going through this period of like self uh, flagellation, you know, yeah. and saying that, you know, Oh, I let everyone down. I didn't just kind of being awful to the herself. And being, face. But, yeah, exactly. And just being a bit kind of, um, you know, a bit, bit fucking emo about it all. Mm. Um, and the conversation he has is sort of feeding into that a little bit. Like he, he knows that, and it, it makes sense from his perspective because he knows that Robbie's going out at night and getting into some heavy shit, mm. and he knows that um, she is an inhuman who are these demonized members of society, yeah. and she's uh, sh- suddenly like shown up, and everything's gone to hell. Mm. So it's a reasonable conclusion for him to jump to that she's maybe not in his brother's best interests yeah. <laughs> to, to yeah. be around. But, of course, that's feeding into her guilt and, yeah. and self-hatred that's she's going on. She's not feeling any bitter or better stuff, no, that's no. for sure. Yeah. And, again, this is one of the things, this is why I think this show is good writing as opposed to bad writing, is that her feeling that way and him saying that makes sense mm. and don't make either of the characters any less sympathetic. Mm. And bad writing would fail at one or both of those things it mm. would either be well why are you saying that that makes no sense mm. and oh okay you're saying it because the writing needs you to do that for reason x y and z yeah um or it makes sense but you just don't like that character and mm. that doesn't serve the show either yeah because you want all of the characters i mean in some ways you want your villains to be sympathetic not sympathetic in the sense of i agree with you i hope you win but no. sympathetic in the sense of like fringe, like why oh, they do it that way. Yeah, it's like oh, well, you were driven to madness because your child died. How I can't say that wouldn't be me. You know that yeah. that that's level of empathy. Yeah, Ab- the- absolutely, and I think um, going back to you know other things again, um, uh, Michael Keaton in the first Spider-Man film is totally understandable, fantastic in that because. Okay, he's the big bad and and you want to not like him, but you can completely see how he's got to yeah. where he's got to. And particularly around when that film came out, we were still there was still a lot of um, working class resentment yeah. uh, to uh, banks and governments and public sector. Mm. You know um, that that was a very relatable thing. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And and when in thirty or forty years time, when people cultural historians go back and go, fuck me, people were like really into superhero films for like ten or fifteen years back then. Well, you know, in the same way that people were like really into westerns in the fifties and sixties. What does that mean? And they go back and they unpick it. They'll start. They'll make those connections. Mm. They'll go, oh, well, there was there was a a long lasting and long reaching global recession yeah. that occurred. There was a huge amount of. Um, conversations around gender identity going on around yeah. that time you know yeah. and you can see it all out there yeah um 
the fear is spreading. What we're seeing here is that it's working. Mm. You know, you're starting to see good people start to think of people as, you know, the other. And that's a recurring theme in this show as well. But they repackage it really well. Like, it's only just occurred to me that how much uh, every season of the show has played on some variation of the demonising of the other. But they do it really differently each season that you don't even actually intellectually clock that that's run throughout the entire show. And thinking of later seasons as well, that doesn't go away. That's obviously just something that is politically and ideologically fundamental to the creative viewpoint of the people who make the show. Yeah. You know, and um, the Mac confronts Yo-Yo about um, the fact that she's been clandestinely um, supporting uh, and has had contacts with Daisy. And I love this scene because Max, like, pissed off with her and she's just, like, turned on. She's drinking it. a beer and, like... And, and she's like, oh, angry suits you. Yeah, yeah, and, Like, yeah. she's just goading him. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she didn't care. But for him, it's I a mean, giant she, boner killer. She you know. cares, but she doesn't see it as the terribly grave situation. Well, I mean, also, I mean, she is not and hasn't been for all of her adult life part of a structured military organisation. No, yeah. So she's bringing a very different... Hashtag fuck it. Yeah, well, her, her entire perspective of life is different to his. His is yeah. all about rules and honour and chain of command. I mean, they uh, share a religious ideology, but well, that's, that's about it. Well, no, like, like, like all couples, you know, and they're being presented in that way, they are sit the same in the ways that are important, yeah. in those central soul ways, yeah. but different in all of the other fundamental life ways that ultimately don't really matter in a relationship, and but that will of, cause conflict. But it's a good thing that they're different. I think if you and I were the same in lots of ways, we just wouldn't function. No. You know, we need your characteristics and mine to work as... And we need those differences. Yeah. But the negative side of those differences is arguments. Yeah. You know, that's where what, why that happens, because that's when pick couples or anybody, who, work colleagues or whatever, most most arguments that aren't based in ideology or, like, you know, big, you know really important big stuff come from just a place of, I just don't understand why you don't do that thing they or you can't see that thing. Done fuckery. Which... Yeah, yeah. It's like I just don't get why you would do that, and that's just uh, and that comes from things like what's happening here with Mac mm. uh, and yeah. Yo-Yo, which is just that they have come from different places. Yeah, you know. Yeah. 100%. And um, so Jeffrey does the press conference and basically announces the return of Shield, and and I like the way he deals with it as well because he doesn't fuck around. No, he's just like okay. This was all bullshit. Yeah. These people did it. Mm. Here's my evidence. This is why they did it. This is why we were stupid for believing it. And this is what we need to do next. Which is ultimately I, how you I did. thought he came across so well yeah. in that um, press conference. But like, when they were saying, when he was talking to Coulson earlier in the episode, mm. Tony, he's like, is it too soon? Mm. I was thinking, is it public knowledge that he's an inhuman yet? No. Because I thought that that, that was no. until like a moment later when it became clear that what they were actually talking about was announcing the re-emergence of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. I thought they were talking about him kind of coming out. Right. You know. And no, no. They, I, I'm pretty sure they don't know. But the thing is, it's funny though, because I'm thinking about this now from a PR perspective, and I'm thinking... I mean, I think sh- the people in S.H.I.E.L.D. know, aside from the agents. Yeah, but, but what I'm thinking though is from a logic perspective, uh, and again, I'm thinking of this, you know, again, from a manager brain, is he's fucked up. 
because the problem is he's got now he basically has gone to bat for the Inhumans mm. and said and what he said is which is absolutely correct is um, we are people and some people are Inhumans and some people are not but we are still all collectively the Brotherhood of Man mm. you know um, and uh, great band <laughs> by the way um, and uh, Rivers, Rivers of Babylon I believe was Ra Ra Rasputin that was it oh for it's not the Brotherhood of Men oh isn't it who did that it's Boney M. Oh, that is Boney M, isn't it? Oh, they were shit too. Fucking hell. Um, the, um, is this up with the... What Brickliners and the Primitives. The Primitives, yeah. Fuck. Me. I got no cigarettes. <laughs> um, you realise that it's King of the Road. Uh, yeah, but it's still the Proclaimers. Yeah, but it wasn't originally. No, I know, but it, the, the version everybody knows is the Proclaimers. Uh, well. Uh, and not the Primitives. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, but the reason I think he, he's kind of fucked up potentially is that he's gone to bat for the Inhumans and said you know that, that we are all brotherhood of man I can see how this tangent occurred um, but if if in a week's time he comes out and says I'm an Inhuman or word or worse yet word leaks out that he's an Inhuman then people are going to go well you were only saying that because You're trying to hood you were secretly us. you know yeah. so it almost feels like he needed to from a PR perspective, him coming out needed to precede all that other stuff. Mm. Otherwise, um, impartiality would quite reasonably be questioned. Yeah, you know. And, but a bit of a tangent there. But that's what I was thinking whilst watching that scene. I uh, just, I just thought he came across really confident, um, well spoken, and strong. Yeah, very strong, and you saw the side of him of why he's been given this job. Yeah. Like, up till now, he's kind of been... Because you've only seen him through the eyes of the agents, you see him as this kind of... Cheesy. Slightly cheesy, bumbling... Do you actually know what you're doing? But that's what you want in front of the cameras. That's the the person you need. exactly. But you haven't seen that yet. Yeah, yeah. So now you're like, oh, that's why you got the gig. Up up till now, all you've you've seen is, would you do this now? Well, he's not been in his natural arena. Yeah. um, Because his natural arena, the arena he's been in is Coulson's. Yeah. When you see him at the press conference, that's his natural arena. Coulson would have been shit in that situation. 100%. um, Because he wouldn't have been able to... um, Compromise, mm. or or you know, or bite his lip. He doesn't have the uh, public facing skills. Well, that's for scene. That May scene says. ends with May saying that should have been you, and Coulson smiles and says, "I'm right where I belong." Yeah, uh, and, uh, and then it pans back, and he's in the shadow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. And and that's where, and I think one of the reasons, just to go back to what you were saying about how part of your enjoyment of this episode was the feeling of of the show reconciling itself again, and I think that's the moment where. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, this is. Mm. They're on, you know. The, the, mm. It's every the 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 status is quo. The status <laughs> is quo. At this point, um, so we see the uh, the senator that we saw earlier on on the news talking shit about Shield, um, oh, and that like basically she's working with the watchdogs, and 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 basically it appears that she is the key conspirator in all of this. And when she leaves. Um, 
we see that she's actually been kind of insanely in a kind of Norman Bates talking to his dead mum kind of way, mm. been talking to uh, a terragend brother. Um, brother of hers. Mm. Uh, and then the episode ends. Uh, before we um, wrap things up, Hannah, have you got anything else you would like to add? No, um, just bring the next episode on. I'm looking forward to it. Keep the feedback coming. I really enjoy getting your emails and feeling very excited about um, feedback. And it's rewatchprojectpodcast at gmail.com. If you're listening to this uh, podcast, stop what you're doing and email us now. Don't worry about it having to be the most intellectual, thoughtful thing in the world. Uh, literally just email us. Tell us that you're listening. Tell us who you are, where you are, uh, something about yourself, and a question. Yep. That simple. Yep. And um, reviews um, on Apple Podcasts would be really appreciated, um, uh, formerly known as iTunes. And if you listen to us on YouTube, then please uh, like and subscribe. Um, also, it's probably worth mentioning um, if you... Um, want additional content i've mentioned all the other podcasts but um starting next time uh on youtube uh chin stroke versus puns my other podcast is going to be a video podcast as well um paul's actually got himself a proper camera and like a lighting thing and a green screen oh my god Um, are people gonna actually um, see your face oh well they have anyway i mean i put interviews and stuff up there anyway i know but Um, they haven't seen paul that's it it's gonna be game over there um but um, so what we're going to do is um, the podcast is going to go out as normal, but on the YouTube channel of Chinstroker versus Punter, uh, as opposed to it just being the cover art, we will actually have video, and there'll be like we'll um, through the magic of Zoom and screen share. Um, whilst we're talking about movies, we'll be playing clips from the movies and doing all of that kind of oh, stuff. So cool. we, thought, we thought we'd zhuzh it up, and also we've had we've had like bizarrely high. YouTube views for Chinstroke vs. Punch Run um, recently. Mm. Uh, like, we usually just put them out there and do nothing, and we'd have like maybe 10 views because it would be all there. But last couple of episodes have just suddenly been in like the sort of hundreds. Mm. And I'm like, uh, maybe it feels like maybe we need to sprinkle a little bit of water on that. So, we're going to do some video stuff on there as well. Um, and also, social media, we, I don't push that enough. And maybe, you know, now we're going to do little bits of extra bits and bobs uh, video and all that kind of stuff. It's worth doing it. So, go over to Instagram. Uh, and Twitter, and you can find us at Rewatch Proj. That's Rewatch P R O J. Uh, what are we talking about next time, Anna? The next episode is called Let Me Stand Next to Your Fire. <laughs> it's the Jimi Hendrix song. Let me stand next to your fire. I, know, I was literally just about to stay, say it's really hard to say that and not sing. I know, it's impossible. Okay, plot says As Ghost Rider's quest for vengeance brings him into an explosive confrontation with S.H.I.E.L.D. Coulson and Mac must rely on an unlikely ally in their time of desperate need. And Daisy reunites with a familiar face to stop the watchdogs. I'm wondering who the unlikely ally and familiar face are. I can't remember. But I'm guessing unlikely ally, could that be Adrian Pazdar? Um, I don't know. But it is directed by Brad Turner and it is written by... Matt Owens. Wow, new writer and new director. No, Matt Owens has written before. Oh, has he? I'm sure he has. Let's just have a look very quickly. Sorry, this is the first time it's written and story edited. Okay, okay. well, we will be back uh, to talk about that in the coming days. I don't think it'll be too long because we're, uh, I think we're on a bit of a roll with the show, aren't we? Indeed. Cool, we will speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye.